Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. Organized to foster connections between the exhibition Heaven and Earth, Art of Byzantium from Greek Collections at the National Gallery of Art, and the research interests and collections of Dumbarton Oaks Research Library and Collection, this colloquium echoes the companion volume to the exhibition catalog, Cities and Countryside in Byzantine Greece. In the colloquium, held on November 15, 2013 at the gallery, American and Greek Byzantinists addressed the many ways community was visualized in the arts, including mosaics, frescoes, icons, and everyday objects, in architectural construction, and in settings for the ceremonies of daily life and death. Heaven and Earth, Art of Byzantium from Greek Collections, is on view through March 2, 2014. This program is coordinated with and supported by Dumbarton Oaks Research Library and Collection. The third lecture was presented by Dimitri Papinikola Pakirtsi, director of the Leventus Municipal Museum of Nicosia, Cyprus. Byzantium is commonly identified in relation to its production of religious art and architecture, bringing to mind icons and religious wall paintings in churches depicting the celestial world of angels and saints. However, even in the theocratic state of Byzantium, people did not have only religious needs and the life did not consist solely of prayer. While having their gaze turned to heaven, Byzantines had their feet firmly placed on earth and they had earthly needs. A great deal of light can be shed on these earthly needs through the study and examination of everyday earthenwares. The various types of clay domestic wares provide valuable information about their use and about the dining and eating habits of their owners. They also reveal the artistic pursuits of the craftsmen who made them and the aesthetic preferences of the consumers who used them. A study of the evolution of earthenwares during the period covered by the exhibition on Byzantium hosted by the National Gallery of Art gives an overview of the socioeconomic parameters of a broad spectrum of everyday life in Byzantium. It also enables visitors to become familiar with Byzantium through an artistic manifestation other than that of religious art, an art free of inexpression, far from religious restrictions and constraints. The vast majority of the domestic wares concern food, and more specifically, the storage of foodstuffs and the preparation and serving of meals. Most of these vessels were made of clay. Large clay jars kept in the larders and cellars underneath houses were used to store large quantities of wine and oil. It seems that quantities of solid foodstuffs, such as grains, were also stored in ceramic jars in the coolness of the cellars. The main cooking vessel was also ceramic. Vessels with a rounded body and a flat or curved bottom and one or two handles were known as hydra or tsuka, that is to say, cooking pot. 
Frying pans were also used to prepare food. These were usually made of metal, but frequently of clay as well. Very few changes can be observed over time in connection with storage and cooking pots. Once these exclusively utilitarian vessels had acquired their ergonomic shape and form, only small changes were made to them. The category of wares in which variations can be found was that of tablewares. Differences can be seen in the shape and form of these wares which correspond to changes in how people took their meals and in their dietary habits. In addition, table wares were decorated. The evident differences in their decoration through the ages and from place to place demonstrate aesthetic preferences, consumer requirements, and foreign influences. Today, we will examine the earthen glazed tablewares of the medieval Byzantine period, specifically those of the 9th to the 15th centuries. Through this examination, I will try to give you an overview of the tablewares used by a broad section of Byzantine society during this period. From the 9th century onwards, glazed white-body ceramics were found in increasing numbers in almost the whole of the Byzantine world. It is now generally accepted that these ceramics, with their characteristic white body, were produced in the capital of the empire itself, and were widely spread throughout the Byzantine world and particularly in the major commercial urban centers. These are tablewares whose shape and size indicate that they were used as serving vessels. Specifically, they are large and medium-sized plates and bowls. They often had a raised base and are reminiscent of modern fruit bowls. In addition to plates and balls, new forms of peculiar vessels made their appearance during, during this period. This included salsaria, chafing dishes, which were self-heated vessels. They had in their hollow body space for charcoals under a deep plate on the top. They had even a lid. They were designed to keep sauces warm at the table. These sauces' main ingredient was animal fat. For example, the well-known garo sauce made mainly from the blood of fishes. Such specialized wares suggest a sophisticated diet, a sophisticated way of dining and consumers with high aesthetic and gastronomic requirements. The findings of white clay glazed ceramics also include smaller pots in the shape of cups and wine vessels in the form of the ancient skiffos, clearly designed for drinking. With regard to the ornamentation of these white clay wares from Constantinople, it's worth 
looking at the so-called polychrome ware, rendered in colored glazes, depicting geometric or vegetative motifs as well as animals or even human figures. Both the technique and subject matter of polychrome wares clearly had in mind and imitated metallic prototypes such as cloisonné enameling technique. However, most of the white clay vessels were decorated in relief with the use of a seal or a mold. The imitation of the metal wares is evident once again. The prototype of this time are metal vessels decorated in relief using the repoussé technique. Mythological creatures and birds were also part of the pictorial repertoire borrowed from the metal prototypes. As noted already, the ceramics of Constantinople were very popular throughout the whole Byzantine world. Their high quality and variety of forms for specialized uses, as well as their refined ornamentation, leads to the question of what kind of people used these wares. We believe that economic history has already given the answer, observing that by the 10th century, there was a rise in production accompanying demographic growth and the multiplication of towns and cities. This was one of the factors that led the elite to seek the accumulation of resources. At the same time, elite demand for luxury and semi-luxury products grew. This newly urbanized class developed refined preferences which are found in the glazed wares. These wares, these were an acceptable substitute for the expensive metal vessels which it desired but could not afford. The spread of the glazed ceramics produced in the Byzantine capital must have been the result of systematic trade, whereby luxury and semi-luxury products were sold through the large centers of commerce. However, as economic history has shown us once again, these large commercial centers were not just consumer centers. During the same period, they were developing into centers for the production of goods for which demand existed. Naturally, one such category of goods was that of glazed tableware. So, according to the laws of consumption, Local production had to compete with and replace, if possible, the tablewares imported from Constantinople. This venture was made difficult by the white clay and because of this, the light-colored appearance of the vessels from Constantinople, which highlighted the decoration and glazing. But unfortunately, this kind of earth and clay was not easily found everywhere. The problem was solved when, in the 11th century, the red clay vessels were covered with a white coating that gave them the desired pale surface. The white coating 
on the red clay pots not only provided a suitable surface for painted decoration, but was also the reason that main requirement for the development of the par excellence ornamentation of Byzantine glazed ceramics, namely sgraffito, from the Italian verb sgraffiare, which means scratch. The process of the sgraffito decoration was as follows. Once the shape of the vessel was set, but while the clay was still soft, it was coated either by pouring or by dipping with a layer of white or whitish slip. This is a very pure and fine clay with a watery consistency. The craftsman used to used a sharp tool, a nail, or a trimmed reed to engrave the decoration through this pale surface layer. This revealed the red clay under the slip, so the red graffito lines formed the decorative motif against the lighter ground of the slip layer. Once the graffito process was finished, the vessel went into the kiln for firing. The soluble clay was converted into hard, immutable ceramic. Finally, the ceramic surface was coated with glaze and returned to the kiln for a second time. After firing, the glaze became transparent and shiny, further enhancing the decoration. The glaze used on Byzantine ceramics is lead glaze. One of the characteristics of this type of glaze is that it becomes shiny and transparent at a relatively low temperature. From the last part of the 11th and mainly during the 12th century, the fine engraving led to the development of extremely refined drawing, especially in the case of pictorial representations. In fact, these drawings are even more remarkable when one considers that engraving on the fresh damp coating can only be done once and cannot be corrected. The designs must have been done by talent, talented, highly specialized craftsmen and not just by the potters who shaped the pots on the wheel. In certain workshops, the fine graffito line experimented with the painted decoration. And thus, we have the brown and green fine graffito, a very particular and noteworthy group which combines painted and graffito decoration. Another group goes by the rather odd name of Miselsware. Red spots added to the graffito themes which were often based on imaginary mythological creatures. It is certain that these fine graffito wares were produced by large organized workshops and were disseminated as a result of systematic trade. This is shown by cases of shipwrecks such as that of Alonisos Island in the northern Aegean Sea, whose main cargo was glazed Wares. Now, in strata dated in the late 12th and early 13th centuries, 
the findings indicate that the Byzantine craftsmen sought change and renewal. The lazy decoration we saw previously were no longer satisfied them, and the graffito engraving became broad and strong, as did the designs. The craftsmen did not hesitate to score deep into the coating in order to expose more of the clay. The gouged decorative themes are perhaps the most narrative and at the same time the most abstract found on Byzantine glazed ceramics. They depict armed warriors and have been that have been identified as the legendary Akrite, who were the guards of the eastern frontiers of the Byzantine Empire. Spears and huge swords bring to mind descriptions and stories about them in the medieval Akritic songs. The vessels also portray musicians and dancers, bringing to life scenes from the Hippodrome as they depict and visualize Greeley and Mimes, those controversial characters of the spectacle. On the vessel, which you can see in the exhibition, a musician is playing a stringed instrument while in front of him a figure in smaller scale is dancing. The figure is wearing the long sleeves dancers used to wave about to the rhythm of the music. Moreover, he is pointing his behind at the musician. He even appears to be provided with an artificial phallus. Vessels like those on the screen dated in the early 13th century made up the greater part of the cargo of a ship that was wrecked near the island of Castellorizo, southeast of Rhodes. The findings of the excavations indicate that these vessels were dispatched not only to various locations in the Byzantine world, but also reached the sites of the Crusades in the Eastern Mediterranean. As has already been stated, the decoration of this group is also abstract. I believe that images like this one, or this one more than others, are made remarkable by the abstraction in the design as well as the imagination and daring of the artistic engraver. Yes, perhaps in these cases it is possible to speak clearly about art and not only craft. In a number of vessels with more or less the same subject matter, the decoration reveals more of the bare ceramic body using a cut-slip technique which allows the figures to stand out in outline on the pale coating. The revelation of more and more of the bare clay, le clay led in inevitably to a new type in the scraffito decoration, known with the French term chamlevé, which means with the background of the representations removed. This resulted in the projection of the high-colored figures on a 
on to the dark ceramic body in a reversal of roles between the light and the dark. The Jean-Levé technique appeared at, in Byzantium at the end of the 12th century and the beginning of 13th, and became widespread during the first of the 13th century. The themes of this group include human figures that have also been linked to heroes of their critic songs and the legends about their critics, the heroes guards of the frontiers, as I told earlier. One of these, perhaps the best known Byzantine vessels, vessel, which you saw already, and currently on show here at the National Gallery, depicts a couple in tight embrace. The man is tenderly holding his beloved, who is seated on his lap. It has been suggested that the faces portrayed are those of the hero Dionysus Akritas and his beloved Maximo, queen of the Amazons. The fascination of this interpretation makes us overlook the lack of evidence to support it. <laughs> Other themes in the Chamblevé group include dragon slaying and animal fights, as seen on this vessel from Benaki Museum, which is also part of the exhibition. In addition, a large number of vessels are decorated with charming rabbits or deer in the center of the ball. In the early part of the 13th century, to be specific, in 1204, Constantinople was occupied by the Crusades. Over the next few years, the Byzantine Empire was broken up on it, and on its uh, on its territory, the crusading forces uh, were established kingdoms and princedoms with a variety of different names. In the second half of the century, despite the gradual restoration of the empire and the return of the Byzantines to the throne of Constantinople, the empire never regained its earlier unity. On the contrary, the forces which favored and promote decentralization prevailed not only in the administration and the economy, but also in the area of artistic creativity and production. The excavation findings indicate that indeed the production centers of glazed ceramics became decentralized and that taught, uh, local provincial workshops emerged. The ceramics of the last period those of 13th and 14th century, before Constantinople was seized by the Ottoman Turks in 1453, are very different in form and size compared to those of the previous 11th and 12th centuries. The vessels were smaller and deeper and consisted mainly of deep balls and dishes or of a small or medium size. The small size of the vessels indicates that they were for individual use rather than for serving common meals. On the other hand, the shape of the deep vessel 
indicates that the diet consisted of soups and broths, foods that point to a poorer diet. The information available for this period indicates that the economy of the time was not in a particularly good state. The changes in the size and shape of the vessels can also be correlated to the Frankish conquest and their new dietary habits that were introduced in parallel with the Crusaders' presence on Byzantine territories. In connection with the technique of decoration, the ceramics of this last period exhibit eclectic elements in the use of both the fine and gouged graffito and on, and on occasion cut-slip technique with a view to highlight individual features of the decorative theme. However, the element that makes the decoration of the ceramics of the 13th, 14th centuries different from those of the previous centuries is the powerful presence of color. Sgraffito decoration was brought to life by the strong color of the glazing. Yellow is the color most commonly seen in a variety of shades from pale yellow to orange yellow, gold yellow, and mustard yellow. Less common was the use of green glazing. At the beginning of the 13th century, it appears that potters and consumers were becoming tired of the monotony and monochrome nature of this graffito decoration. Byzantine graffito ceramics now sought variety in color, and this was emerging in the form of brownish yellow and green brush strokes, which enriched the decorative impression. Initially, it seems that the two colors were applied separately. Soon, however, the two colors were seen side by side on the same vessel. The large numbers of glazed ceramics vessels uncovered in excavations indicate that ceramic glazed vessels from the late Byzantine period were used extremely wide, widely and were an everyday, everyday affordable item. The variety and brightness of the colors indicate different aesthetic approaches which I would venture to say reflect tastes of a more folkloric nature. This appealed to a broad spectrum of Byzantine society in both cities and countryside. As I come to the end of my presentation, I wish to express the hope that through these humble clay vessels, I have succeeded in conveying some aspects of the everyday and earthly lives of the Byzantines. The study of the evolution of the ceramic vessel has outlined the position of clay vessels in the Byzantine home. We saw how from a semi-luxury acquisition on an upwardly mobile social and economic class in the 9th and to the 12th centuries, these clay table wares evolved into everyday utilitarian items forming part of everyday 
and every Byzantine household during the 13th and 14th centuries. Through the vessels, decorative themes, we caught a glimpse of the fascinating world of medieval narratives and took a look at the risque and provoking world of the spectacle. It is my hope also that tonight's speech has given you an idea of the aesthetic preferences of the Byzantines in their private lives and that I have helped you to become familiar with a Byzantium that stretches beyond the art of icons and ecclesiastical items. Thank you. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.